This is a podcast from Minute Media. In the fall each year we all congregate The mouth all gathered at the church of Hilgate The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a freshman Drunk and obnoxious, what children face Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that band Welcome to the Saturday Night Podcast. We're a Georgia Bulldogs show by dogs fans for dogs fans. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, bark at the people. What's happening, everybody? Dogs still number one in the land. That defense is still ferocious as ever. Offense still looking dynamic, using about 30% of the playbook. So we're going to just dive right in. But before we do, I made a statement on our preview episode that I need to make an apology for. Even though Ogeron is not going to return to LSU next season, I said the team had quit on him, that that's what it had looked like. And as evident by Saturday, that is not the case because they whooped up on them Gators. So my apologies to the LSU players and Coach Ogeron because that was impressive. Yes, and go Tigers. God bless them. Yeah. It's always a it's always a good day when the Gators lose. So that was that was fantastic. Yeah, that that's a that's a whole another situation that we'll absolutely talk about. I want to talk some dogs with you first. First thing is, I need you to ask me what I had for my victory supper on Sunday. Oh yes, please t- please tell everyone who did not see it because it looked delicious. What did you <laughs> have for dinner? All right, so your boy had fried catfish and spaghetti, and. Before everybody's like, what? It's like, what, what are you doing? All right. So look, I had seen this multiple times on social, like people were busting the Kobe's chops about eating catfish and spaghetti. And kind of what took me over the top with it was that piece Herb Street did with him and the members of the defense. He asked him, he's like, y'all tell us something that we don't know about, like all you guys on the defense. And like literally three of the guys immediately look at the Kobe and they're like, catfish and spaghetti like they don't go together (laughs) (laughs) and so that like really piqued my interest and i'm like well i'll try anything once and i love catfish and i love spaghetti so i mean why the hell not right so i was in a great mood yesterday obviously dogs are seven and oh whooped up on the wildcats another big win number one in all the land i said you know what i'm about to fix me up some fried catfish and spaghetti so i went to the store I bought all the stuff and my wife wasn't there when I left or she wasn't there yet when I got back. So she gets back and I am like full fledged. I got stuff all over my kitchen. Okay. I got the bread and station for the catfish. I got the stuff set up to make the homemade sauce. I had it all. I was making a uh, homemade cornbread to go with it. This skillet cornbread that I do. So she comes in and she's like, what? are you making for dinner? And I'm like, so about that, (laughs) I said, she goes, it looks like you're making fish, but it also looks like you're making spaghetti. I go, that's precisely what I'm making. (laughs) And she's like, okay. So then the kids are like, what are we eating daddy? And Jenna goes, uh, she goes, fish sticks. (laughs) 
So I am very happy to report the kids demolished the fish and also demolished the spaghetti. So it was a win on both fronts. I mean, yeah. So we had the Kobe Dean inspired Sunday supper, catfish and spaghetti, and it was delightful. And your boy got busy in the kitchen like he normally does. So it was legit. I like soaked the catfish in buttermilk and hot sauce and Cajun seasoning and then breaded it in a little cornmeal and Cajun seasoning and then deep fried it in some canola oil. Law, brother, it was smack your mama good. I mean, mm, Lord, it was good. Then I did a homemade gravy for the sauce. I'd like this Pomodoro sauce. Did the San Marzano whole tomatoes, little red onions, some green peppers, about as much garlic as you can stand. Immersion blended that thing up and then dropped it over some angel hair spaghetti. Lord, tell you what, <laughs> I'm be I'm be eating that again tonight. So yeah, I was in for it. So Nakobe, I'm just telling you, brother, you 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 come eat with me anytime you want. That was delicious. <laughs> so uh-huh. yeah, but it was it was pretty funny. So yeah, it was good. We had, we had some leftovers. It was real good, but it was kind of a fun way. Also, just want to kind of pay homage to Nakobe, right? I mean, dude, I'm gonna tell you, there was a lot of play of the games, but let's start with this one. That play he made on the screen when Kentucky was down by the end zone where he knifes through three blockers and takes down – I can't remember if it was Rodriguez or if it was Wanda Robinson. It was the tight end. No, it was oh, the tight end. It was, end. The, tight it was end. Riggs. So, yeah, I mean, that play was unbelievable. I mean, the more they showed it on replay, the more you're like, there's three dudes to block one guy, and if they block him, he walks into the end zone. He I walks mean, in. Yeah, there's no one else over there. And that's the same drive as the block kick. Yeah, the next play. So that was third down. That was that was just an awesome, awesome play. And it's starting to be one of these things where you hate to say that, oh, well, they're not getting recognized or somebody's not getting this or that. But the defense has played so well as a whole. And we tend to, not just us, but I think national media does as well, talk about the unit as a whole. And they should. The unit has been fantastic. And if they continue to progress as they have through seven games, they are going to be historically great. Uh, 538 had a great article on some of the numbers behind that assertion this week. That is uh, uh, definitely worth a read. Maybe I'll pop that in the show notes so people can check it out. But it's a cool kind of empirical look at how great they've been, not just us watching them and going, yeah, man, they look awesome. Um, So I think that's probably worth a read for dogs fans. But I do think Nakobe is having a transformational season the way he has played i think he's making himself a lot of money right now um and i'm gonna tell you the one that's been big for me too who i just feel like nobody is talking about dude lewis scene has played magnificently and i think he's doing his job so well it's almost a detriment from a publicity perspective does that make sense like he's doing it so well no one's talking about him because he's not getting beat or any of these type things. I just feel like he's making every single play he is supposed to make for that defense to function the way that it's functioning. Like, I, I don't know, man. And I hate to beat this drum because, you know, your boy's been beating it like a dead horse since like July. But I just think that this comparison plays. I've been saying this since the spring. They've got the best catcher, shortstop, and center fielder of any defense in the nation, right? And JD and the Kobe and Lewis have anchored 
and allowed them to become what they have become. Now, I'm not trying to discount like what Devontae has done because he has been otherworldly or Jalen because he's been otherworldly. But Jordan Davis is, I mean, what did Coach Smart say in the postgame? He's like Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's dude, accurate. He is unbelievable. The, the play that he made early in the game where he like split the D and I mean, he just moves like a man of his size and stature should not be able to move. I, there was an interesting tweet. I can't remember if it was a uh, Hunter. Long, maybe it was Hunter long. Hunter long tweeted. He said, uh, he said, Georgia's offensive line must love playing on game days so that they yep. do not have to face that defense anymore. <laughs> yes. And I think he's right, man. Like, I don't know, boy, they are just ferocious. So I don't know. I know kind of said a ton there, but what, what if you're, I think that game was just another affirmation that what we are watching right now is special. And like, I tweeted this out, man, my, my plea for all of dog nation is just breathe this in, man. Like this is something really, really cool that we're getting to watch and experience and live in. Like, don't just take this for granted. Like don't get lost in the, Oh my God, we got to win national championship. Like just breathe this in week to week. This first seven weeks has been something special. First, I want to go back to, to Nicobe because let's not just talk about that play. I mean, it's just from, from last season to this season, it's not just his speed. It's not just the plays he's making. It's the way he's reading everything. He recognizes everything so fast. It's like the jump that Roquan made from year two to year three. He knows exactly what the play is before it happens. He may not always make the play, but he is right there every single time. And like you said, he's making himself a lot of money. And like I said, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, it does, you don't have to be 6'3", 250, 245, and run like a gazelle anymore to play linebacker in the NFL. Because of his speed, he's going to make up for that that size deficiency, and he doesn't miss tackles. He just doesn't. So, I mean, they said Roquan was undersized uh, to play middle linebacker in the NFL, and he's doing okay for himself. So yeah. I still will be shocked if Nakobe, especially after going to the combine, he's going to he's gonna test really well if he's not a first-round pick. Dude, um, think about this, too. What do you think he's going to get on the wonder list? He's gonna blow it. I mean, he's, he's an engineer, engineering major, and he's yeah. he's well over three point I think this is like a three point four GPA. I mean, come on, he's I'm gonna blow sure, that out of the I'm, water. I'm pretty sure he was either valedictorian or salutatorian of his high school class. Like, he is gonna dominate the Wonderlick, and I just feel like he's a type guy. You put him out in front of your organization as a number one pick, like what an ambassador he's gonna be. And so, yeah, yeah man, I, I think he's everything you want in an NFL draft pick. And I, to your point, I just think. When he gets an environment where he's interacting with those front offices and he's testing, God, man, it's just going to be awesome. And you combine that up with what his tape's going to look like. I, that defense is, is doing a lot for itself across the board, but there's a lot of guys that have really, really made some money for themselves. And I mean, look, dude, JD is one of them, right? Like, yeah, I, he was not going to be a top 15 pick or even in that conversation if he'd left after last year. And I, at this point, will be surprised if he's not. Like, I just think he's too big of an asset, especially in today's NFL, to not have because he's not just the size piece of it. I think there have been guys big like him before, but it's how agile he is, man. Like, the way he can move sideline to sideline at that size, I, I don't know. I just think he fits so well in today's NFL with how they're trying to stretch out and the speed and all those things. 
don't know, man. I just, boy, there's going to be, there's going to be a lot, a lot of new pictures on the dogs in the NFL wall and the recruiting lounge. <laughs> yeah. I, I think we could easily have eight to nine players off that defense drafted. I think within the first four rounds. I mean, I remember we were talking about after the dogs, the draft last year, we were talking what we thought that the number was going to be and that it was going to beat the, the number last year. And I said 12 to 13. And you were like, wow, that many. And we went through the players. And now I'm thinking it could be more because we're th- I'm thinking nine off the defense alone. And we weren't thinking that high in the offseason. Here's the thing to that point, And I think you're right. But I think what drives that is when even when we had that conversation, neither one of us was talking about Quay Walker or Channing Tindall in that conversation. Yeah, not at all. Because we were expecting them to come back as super seniors next season to come back after their to get the extra COVID year. And I think now what's going to happen is they're going to have an opportunity where, dude, I I think they'll get invites to the Reese's Senior Bowl and they'll get an opportunity, I think, just based off speed and what they've shown on tape to go to the combine. And I think those are two more guys because of what they can do laterally um, that are going to test really well at the combine. So, yeah, man, I. There's going to be a lot of guys. I think Lewis is going to have the opportunity to leave. Um, there's just going to be a lot of them. Chris Smith. I mean, Chris Smith has played extremely well this year. I think Latavius Brinney has put himself in those conversations now because of how well he's played and because of how much they use him and utilize him in that star position. So, and then do Dar- what has Darion Kendrick done to hurt his stock? I mean, he's another one kind of like Lewis Seymour. I feel like week to week, we don't even talk about DK. Right. Like it's not even like we're going, oh man, did you see Darion? He's just, I think he's done so well. You almost take for granted how great they've been, all of them. Which, hey man, I mean, I, I hope it continues that way. I think in some ways that's the calling card of this defense and, and what they revel in. I don't know if you saw the piece on SEC Nation, but Jordan Rogers did a piece with, uh, I think it was, if I remember right, it was Quay, Jordan, and uh, was Channing. I, I think Channing was there too. So we did something with the three of them and talked about it being the no-name defense. And like, do you guys not like that? And all three of them, no, we love it. Like, that's kind of who we are. Like, we're all just trying to eat together. And again, we've said this a bunch. I don't think all that is lip service. Like, I don't think that's just talking point stuff. I think they believe it. And Jordan Davis said something really, really compelling during that piece. He said, you know, everybody's kind of heard it now. We've talked about connection all year. He said, but it's something different than that now. It's not just connection. Like, it's just, it's love. Like, we just love playing with each other and for each other. And we've talked about this since game one in Charlotte. It's evident. It's evident with how they interact with each other. It's evident with how the entire team is together on the sidelines. Like, that's what I mean when I'm saying earlier, like, breathe this in. Like, this is just a special squad. I mean, we have no idea what's going to happen between now and January 10th or whatever. But I'm just saying in this moment, it has been a beautiful ride so far. So I think people should live in that and kind of celebrate that. You know, I mean, it's been, it's been awesome. You know, it's been good when Jeff Schultz can't find bad things to write about. Like you can tell he's yeah. just grinding his gears, having to write something positive each week about Georgia football. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Well, um, what other things stuck out to you? I mean, when you were your first takeaways, when you got done watching the game, what were you like, man, I, this is the thing I'm remembering most, or this is what, what really stuck out the most after that game. Cause I, I, I do want to say this and I'm interested to know how you feel that Kentucky team is a good football team. Like they are, they're very well coached. 
And you, oh, I was curious. It made the comment that, you know, we want to go in and we want to basically dominate you and make you quit. I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact quote. Um, the yeah. one that got blown way out of proportion on the J-Boy show or whatever it was. Each game, it's been evident with the domination on the score on the scoreboard you know who was going to win the, the game was never in doubt in the fourth quarter but this is the first time you've really seen a team really kind of keep their starters out there but in my opinion concede the game when it's a three score game at that point it's 30 to 7 23 points he ran they ran a 22 play scoring drive kept the ball for 11 minutes and 22 seconds or whatever it was over 11 minutes to score a touchdown to make it a three score game a three score game while most likely not going to happen it's still feasible especially in today's game that you can come back from that and yeah. it was almost like stoops was like we don't have a shot at this. We're just going to methodically keep the ball away from him and march down the field and just keep the ball away from Georgia to not give up another score. Or at least that's how I perceive that. And that's what I'm going to remember most from this game. A lot of people are all bent out of shape about him calling a timeout to score with seven seconds left. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it irked me when I saw it, but the more I think about it, I'm like, you know what you play. I remember Jimmy Johnson, the old Cowboys coach used to say, I'll take a knee when they take a knee. And yeah. I, I kind of agree with that. You know, that's an old school mentality. Stoops has got that kind of mentality to him. And I, I kind of respect him a lot for having that mentality. And he's a very good coach. So, you know, that didn't really bother me very much. But the fact that the Georgia Bulldogs made a very physical football team really kind of concede with 11 minutes left to go in the game in a three score game. I'm going to remember that most out of this game. We talked about it on the preview episode, and my contention with this matchup was Kentucky has to run the football to beat whoever they're playing, and they will not run it on Georgia. And when they can't run it, what will they do to move the football and create offensive momentum? And I think that bore itself out. Chris Rodriguez had, what, seven yards rushing? On he only seven had carries. Seven total carries. You could tell they were... I think their plan was to try and get on the edge and use Wondell Robinson as a as a kind of running back in the short passing game. I mean, he had 12 catches. That's a lot of catches. But did he have 30, 39, 39 yards? 39 yards. Yeah, 39 yards. So just didn't work. And they were doing – they were pulling out the whole bag, man. I mean, they were doing – hook and ladder or quasi hook and ladder on the one play. And then they do the tight end throwback for the touchdown pass. I mean, dude, they were deep in the bag, just trying to make something stick and work. And that was the takeaway for me is that like, for me through seven games, like my takeaway from the entire first half of Georgia's football season is that from what I've seen, not just when Georgia's playing, but from the rest of the country, the only team, this season equipped to beat Georgia is Georgia. So if they go out and control what they can control and do the things that they are equipped to do, then nobody's beating them. They're just not. And the only way that's going to change is if they just have so many self-inflicted wounds and issues that somebody's able to, you know, pull one off. But I don't know, man, I show me what, they're kind of Achilles heel is right now through seven games. They don't really have a spot where you go, Oh boy, I feel real vulnerable in this area. I mean, if you really wanted to nitpick, 
maybe it's if we need a field goal to win a ball game, which this seems even crazy to say, given what we thought going into the season, I would be nervous if Jack Podlesny was lining up for a game winning field goal. That's maybe the only thing I could say right now. But other than that, what do you see that gives you pause about this team's ability to close out the rest of their schedule? Regular season, I see nothing. Postseason, the offensive line still is not gelling for 60 minutes. They are very hit and miss. When they are on, they are on. But when they are off, they're like Swiss cheese. There was a play, I think it was the second offensive drive, and it was a, a Bennett rolled out to his right, and the whole pocket shifted to his right. And I don't know how, I don't even know how this happens. And I went back and I watched the play four times to try to figure out how this happened. But as the whole pocket shifted to the right, somehow Salier does not block anyone. Now, there wasn't anyone lined up over him because the tight end stayed in on the left side to block. But Salier ends up making a complete 360 and ends up facing Bennett as he's rolling to the right and doesn't touch a soul. And then at, while he has his back to him, the defensive tackle over top of Schaefer gets past him in between the two. Like, I don't even know how that happens. Like, I, I just don't understand it. Like, I don't understand what the thought process was there. I feel really bad for Salyer in the film room that day or when they watched the game because I just, I didn't under, I went back and watched that play several times because I don't understand how that happens. When the offensive line is on and clicking, they can block anyone in the nation. But there are several times, especially early on in the game, where they just look like they're trying to figure it out. And I don't know what's missing there. And that's probably me being very nitpicky because I'm in lineman and I just, I noticed that stuff and it drives me nuts, but it makes me nervous for when, and it's not pass rushing. It's run mostly run blocking. It's mostly in the run game, but that one play with Salyer just happened to stick out because he literally did a complete 360 and didn't touch a soul. I have no idea what happened on that play. Yeah. It's funny. I do think in some instances they're great, right? Like the first throw that Stetson missed, he was trying to hit AD on the left side of the oh, field. Yeah. Could not mean I mean, a better pass. That was a perfect pocket. I mean, they basically uh, collapsed everyone. It, it wasn't even a pocket. I don't even know what to call that. That was, it was a, just a, it was just a wall. I mean, yeah. there was literally zero penetration. They just collapsed Kentucky's entire pass rush. Um, it, it was incredible. And I think that's what is somewhat frustrating is you feel like if you can do it once, you can do it regularly. And I will say across the season, I don't think the pass blocking has been a massive issue. Like, I don't think Georgia's quarterbacks have been on the ground a lot. I don't have the numbers to back that up. But I'm just saying from a feeling perspective, I don't go, oh, my God, they're about to get knocked out or whatever. Um, and I think the run blocking is getting there. I think each week it gets a little better. I will also say, and we talked about this a little bit last week after the Auburn game, I think the vision for the backs gets better each week too. Uh, Zeus, Zeus's touchdown run, he made one cut and went. I mean, that cut was devastating. It was just a beautiful cut right into the alley, gone. I mean, it was perfect. And I think James gets better every week. I mean, I think he only touched it six times on the ground uh, Saturday and had like 51 yards or something. I mean, he is He's really, and it's not just outside the tackles. He's done really well inside the tackles, which is something I wouldn't have forecasted in the summer. So I think his continued development and emergence has been great. And then Kendall had, well, let's talk about this. For me, 
Kendall made the play of the game. End of the first quarter, game is still nothing-nothing. Georgia is driving. Stetson Bennett drops back to throw, gets hit as he's throwing, or so we thought, and ball aimlessly tumbles on the ground past seemingly seven Wildcats defenders. And then out of nowhere, on the right corner of the screen, Kendall Milton comes sprinting in and jumps on the football. And you're kind of like, man, I was love the hustle, but I think it was incomplete, dude. And then, no, it wasn't. It was live ball. And, dude, Georgia goes from what would have been a third and 13 on the incompletion to a third and four. So that's one thing. But the bigger piece is obviously, and who knows if Kentucky ever would have gotten wise to it, but if he doesn't fall on it, eventually – you know, it was. I felt like he dove in between three Kentucky defenders <laughs> to get that ball. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, next play was. Um, I think that was the angle route to James Cook was the next play for the touchdown. So, yep. I mean, that's a huge swing because if not, Kentucky takes over. They got momentum. It's still nothing, nothing at the end of the first quarter. I mean, look, Georgia probably still wins the football game, but what a heady play what a hustle play i just thought it showed so much awareness so for me that was play of the game and then just to build off of that i thought he looked as good as he's looked all season i do feel like he's probably been nursing some kind of nagging injuries because he just hasn't looked quite like we saw him last year but that burst through the line where he was like a toenail away from busting the big one i mean dude, he looked good really good yeah, he's been slowly building, it seems like, all season to get to this point. And, I mean, like you said, the, there's really nothing more to say about the play uh, diving on the ball than you already said. So, But as far as running the ball, I mean, I said at the beginning of the year that I thought he was our best pure runner. And all season, like you said, it seems like there's been something nagging. And then he did miss the one game. because, And he could have played if we needed him, but we didn't need him. And then all season, it seems like he's been just a little slower. And then, but to this past week against Kentucky, which is probably the most physical team we played so far, he seemed a step quicker and got to the hole quicker and was just every, I mean, even the plays that didn't gain anything. Like, I mean, he got stuffed on a couple of plays or had a couple of two yard plays. And, but he just seemed like he was getting there just a little bit faster. And it seems like he's finally getting his legs under him. Because, I mean, when you're hurt and you have a nagging in- injury, it's not just the, the practice reps and everything like that. You're just not in game shape, too. So that's another big thing that a lot of fans don't take into consideration when you aren't able to do the conditioning and the weight training and all that stuff. Because of that nagging injury, whatever that injury is, whatever caused him to miss that game, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that gets you get behind the eight ball on that. Yeah, so I want to transition from the – talk about the team for a minute because I want to talk about the environment inside Sanford Stadium. As they have all season, 12th dogs showed up and showed out. It was loud. Uh, Our good buddy, Jason Hasty, sent us a picture of the scoreboard showing that the decibel to beat at the time he took the picture in the stadium was 113. Stadium was as loud as 113 decibels on Saturday. That is rocking. I mean, and it sounded loud on TV. They, I, you, you never want to say it because I've always thought Sanford was a great home field advantage, and it's always a great place to go watch a ball game, and, and I think Dogs fans are as engaged as anybody. But it's been different this year. It has been loud. I mean, distractingly loud for the opposing team. And, man, it's awesome. 
like I hope this continues in perpetuity because it has just been so cool to see everybody engaged. And I do think that Spike Squad and Paintline should get some credit for that. I mean, I think they lead the charge on that passion in the student section. And when you have a very engaged student section, I think it kind of builds out and it's becoming, you know, the thing to do now to be an elite fan at Georgia. I just think this atmosphere this year has been completely different. So dog nation, man, give yourself a pat on the back. 12th dog for sure. I mean, I, it has mattered. Kirby asked everybody to come out and be elite. He didn't ask nobody after the Auburn game, did he? I think he got all the he got all the affirmation that he needed that everybody was going to show up. So yeah, yeah, exactly. I thought that was cool. I texted with Jason. I was like, dude, like, does it sound loud? Like, it sounds really, really loud on TV. And he just texted me back the picture and wrote deafening. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, that was really cool. Um, I want to talk to you about Brock Bowers a little bit. I mean, obviously had another big game, and I think in a lot of ways he's been a revelation. I think you could kind of pick up on what Kirby and what Munkin had been saying about him during the preseason, that he had a chance to make an impact. But I don't think anybody outside of Nostradamus knew he was going to have this kind of impact. And I took a quick peek at his numbers, and I want to run something by you here. So one receiver in the history of Georgia football ever to have 1,000 receiving yards in a season, Terrence Edwards. Terrence uh, Edwards. Well, through the seven games, Brock sits at, I think, like 416, 417, somewhere in that vicinity, right? Which kind of sounds like, man, that's still kind of far away, which it is. But if Georgia goes where we're all wanting them to go, which is to the CFP title game, they will play 15 games. So he will have eight more games to hit that mark. So he only has to average like 72 or 73 yards a game over that time span to hit a thousand that's i think that's doable with how he's been used in the offense and what he's got six touchdowns now seven if you count the rushing touchdown it's doable but i think it depends on how close these games are yeah yeah that's fair i I think that i think that's the biggest key if these next regular season games are just absolute ass whoopings I don't think he's going to be. I, I think we're going to see Fitzpatrick more. We'll see some Ryland Goaty more. We're not going to, he's not going to be playing much into the second half. Um, but if these are not that we want them to be close, we want these to be, you know, non factors in the second half. I don't see him playing much into the third quarter, much the rest of the season. I think the playing in the fourth quarter was probably this past week might be the last time we see him until, the, until December with the way the schedule shakes out the rest of the season. Yeah, I think there's going to be some opportunity there, whether it's that Mizzou game or that Charleston Southern game to kind of eat early and get out yeah. just because yeah. they're, they're going to they're gonna blow the doors off, I think, in those games. That Tennessee game is compelling to me just because it's in Knoxville. It's, you know, it'll be a ruckus environment. I, they don't have the talent to match up with Georgia. That is an interesting, compelling game just because it's a rivalry game. It'll be late in November. Um, I just think it'll be cold. It'll be a little chilly right there on the river. I mean, it's going to be, you know, I think that's an interesting matchup. I I think they will win handily, but it may not be one where the starters are taking the shoulder beds off at halftime or anything like that. Um, I think Heupel's doing some good things there offensively, and I think Hendon Hooker has played well. I think their trajectory shifted when Joe Milton was shifted out. I just think Hooker has been a much better option for them 
than Milton was capable of being, which makes you think if they played him more in that Florida game, maybe they'd knock off Florida too. Wow. That Florida team's in shambles, man. And I think the fan base is finally starting to come around that Mullen is what everyone else thought he was. Yeah. Just a clown. Yeah, it's interesting because they're kind of in a pickle, right? Like, I, I think the administration can't make a move because of what they did last year. But boy, the product on the field but has what did not they looked good. Do last year, what? Wow. What? When? when it, okay. Everyone who's listening to the show knows we are not any advocate of Florida at all. But how far has a program fallen? How far have the Gators fallen when eight and four? Losing three of your last four games is considered progress. Well, when I is that, that considered progress? In my opinion, that was a step back. I think that speaks to where they're at as a program. I mean, dude, they've been since Kirby took over, they've been non existent in the East. So that was like the breath of fresh air the program needed. And it, my thing too is, Part of what he has to get saddled with as the head coach, because he's the captain of the ship, is he's responsible for Todd Grantham. Like, that's his lieutenant. The Florida defenses have been horrendous, and that's part of their problem. So, I don't know, man. Like, I think that's the thing that got him riled up was he made postgame comments. Somebody asked him about Grantham, I think, in the postgame press conference, and he just essentially said, well, we're, we'll evaluate everything. We're Right now, we're committed to Todd, which is what he has to say, right? But Fans were like, are you kidding me? Like, this defense has been a dumpster fire, and that's the statement that we're making on that? Like, he just always seems so aloof and at the same time so arrogant about his aloofness. Does that make sense? Like, it's like he's, he's so laissez-faire so about it. aware. Yeah. Oh, his, his self-awareness bone is uh, not there, brother. Like, it just it doesn't exist. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it shapes up for an interesting cocktail party. Because I do think there is this brewing irritation that Florida stole one from us last year. And I don't just get the feeling that Georgia is going to come out like they normally would for a cocktail party. I think they are coming out fixing to absolutely annihilate that team as a statement that this ain't happening. Like that was a one time fluke because starting quarterback didn't play well. Well, who we thought the starting quarterback was going to be didn't play, and then the guy who was our starter got hurt. I think that always gets discounted too, because I want to stick up for the mailman on this. I think people rag him about his performances against Alabama and Florida, and I don't think that's justified at all. Say what you want about the Alabama game, dude. He played just fine in the Florida game before he got hurt. And if you can't put that into the argument, then I think you're disingenuous in what you're trying to say. Like you have to account for that, because I. And obviously, I feel this way because I wrote an article about it, but I would be super interested to get in the time machine and see what that game looks like if he's healthy for that full game. Because after the Kyle Pitts injury, they didn't do anything offensively. I don't know. Anyways, that's kind of a tangent, but we'll talk about the Florida game later in the week. But that's just something I'm, I'm looking at is I don't think this is just going to be, hey, boys, let's go down to Jacksonville and get a win. I think this is going to be, remember what they did to us last year? Let's go down there and punch him in the mouth for four quarters. And I think this is going to be, let's make a statement like 2017. Correct. Correct. That's, that's in my gut how I feel as well, that it's going to be a 2017-esque game. 
Now, granted, Florida is probably going to start Richardson, which, I mean, and also another, I know we're talking about Florida a little bit, much, but how uh, how do you not be self-aware at all? I mean, did you hear his post-game comments? How, I mean, could, could you say, start me or I'm transferring without saying start me or I'm transferring any other way? Yeah, he had to walk it back. Do you see that? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, come on. that That's basically yeah. what he said. I mean, that is a read between the lines if I've ever seen one. Come on. I think that speaks to, to their staff. To the head coach. That, wouldn't, that speaks that would to the never, head coach. Yeah, that would never happen with Kirby. Never. Even when, even never when the whole – never the field again. Even when the whole from Fields thing was happening, you never heard Justin Fields making comments like that ever. I, that's a no. program thing. And, yeah, I mean, that's – I thought that was a very interesting commentary on where they are inside the locker room right now. Um, well, there's one more thing I want to talk to you about from the game on Saturday. I want to talk to you about Ray's performance on SEC Network, Marty McGee. Just want to shout out our boy because it was awesome. It was. Like, I, the whole time I'm watching it, like, I didn't get to see it live. I got to see it after I got back from my kids' soccer games. And the whole time I'm watching it, I'm just like, I'm trying not to get teary-eyed. And I couldn't. Yeah. I could not. It just, the whole time. And my wife's sitting there, like, watching it with me. And my two daughters are watching it with me. And my daughters are singing the song. And I'm just sitting there. And my wife's, like, I'm just sitting there. And I'm, like, misty. Like, cutting onions. I'm like, yeah. God. I'm happy at the same time. And I'm, like, trying to. I'm getting teary-eyed talking about it right now. Jesus. Really know, proud man. of Ray. Yeah, me too, brother. I was so happy for him. I thought that was such an awesome moment. And I think one of the neat things too is that he ha- he's friends with Marty. And so Marty knows his story and like knows his journey. And so, man, I thought Marty did such an awesome job of teeing it up and making it a big moment. It felt big because of the way Marty set it up. And then I thought the crowd response was really cool. Like you could tell everybody in the corral was engaged. They showed a lot of people singing the song. And then the only time they kind of got up and got passionate was when he hit the, that coach up in Athens and got them boys playing pretty good ball. Yeah. So, man, I just – it was it was so, so cool. And if, if you're not already listening to Ray's music, like, we will beat the drum till the end of the day. Like, get on it. Because, number one, it's great music. But when it comes to damn good dogs, I mean, he's, he's the damn goodest of all of them. I mean, he's just the best. Not, and that's not just a, a thing. Like, he's just a good dude. And you want to support him because he's a dog and he loves the dogs, but he's also just really, really good people. And so, yeah, man, he's, he's, he's just aces. So make sure y'all support Ray how you can. And if you haven't gotten the opportunity to see it, pretty sure SEC Network has it on their um, Twitter feed. And we reposted it on our Twitter as well. But it's definitely worth the time to check out the segment. It was just really, really cool. Dude, and then he was in Ohio like that night. Like he – Drove yeah, down to Atlanta. Yeah, drove down to Atlanta, caught a flight, and then he was playing in Ohio at 9 o'clock. Dude, he's hustling, brother. Hustling. We saw him. I haven't talked to you really about it since we went, but we went and saw him at Windjammer on Isle of Palms. Took my wife, and we went and saw him like that Thursday night. And it was just him, just playing an acoustic show. So it's just him on the stage. Dude, he lit it up. Oh, that's like, awesome. He was really – yeah, he was really good. It was, it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, man, he's – I'm telling you guys, his – his rocket is taking off. He's just going to continue to, to go be not just because he's talented, because he does things the right way. So yeah, I was just so, so happy for him. That was such a cool moment. Like just set the stage for it to be a cool day. And it ended up being that way with how the dogs played and everything. So yeah, I just thought that was awesome. 
Well, uh, we're having a good week this week. It's bye week. We're not taking a bye. We're, we got this episode coming out, and then we're going to do um, – we're still going to do a preview episode where we pick some games. And it's looking like we will have the athletic Seth Emerson on with us this week to chat about the dogs at the midway point and pick some games with us. And yeah, so we got some stuff coming. And then I think we're also going to have a conversation with at least one and maybe two of Georgia's long snappers, William Moat and Payne Walker. So definitely check that out because they're awesome. And as we say each week, know your snappers. So get a little insight into their journey to Georgia and uh, chat with them. So we're excited about all that. And then we will get back into the swing of things next week, previewing, uh, pl- previewing the Florida matchup. So we'll have a special guest for that as well, which will also be, boss, our 100th episode. 100, homie. That's crazy. You think the listeners That's feel crazy. bad for you? You think the listeners feel bad for you having listened to me drone on for 100 episodes? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, God, please shut up. Does he ever stop talking? I know. Yeah. Just remember, folks, 37 years. I've been doing this for 37 years, folks. I've been listening to this joker for 37 years. He never stops talking. That's true. Yeah, man. I don't even count the text messages. I mean, y'all don't even know. So, y'all, don't uh, wanna be, y'all don't want to be in Boston. I'll be wearing him out. <laughs> <laughs> he can't text in paragraph form. It's like four, four word text messages, like 50 of them in a row. So yeah, just want to point just, that out. I need to get it out as soon as it crosses my brain. I'm just firing <laughs> it to you. You're just getting my stream of conscious at all times. Oh, all right, homie. Times. Well, we will uh, we will talk with y'all soon. And until uh, until our next episode, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now. of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 dollars more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget join planet fitness for just one dollar down and ten dollars a month cancel anytime deal ends friday may 10th see home club for details